The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. here at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here's your top five at five. Stocks are holding on to their record-breaking rally with the S&P notching, get this, the 70th record close of the year. But talk about hitting the skids. DD is under pressure after the Chinese ride-hailing giant reported its latest figures and the crackdown from Beijing. With tensions on the rise between Russia and Ukraine, President Biden is stepping in with a call to Russia's Vladimir Putin today. We've got Atlantic Council's Fred Kemp. He is here to weigh in. Plus, first it was Samsung. Now another global chipmaker is warning of a production slowdown amid lockdowns and the ongoing COVID outbreak in China. Former Goldman Sachs Asset Management CEO Jim O'Neill weighing in on that and the risks to global growth. And later, Biogen throwing cold water on what would be, could have been, a massive M&A deal. That story and more. It is Thursday, December 30th, 2021. You're watching Worldwide Exchange here on CNBC. Good morning. I'm Seema Modi in for Brian Sullivan at this hour. It's great to be with you today. Here's how stock futures are looking on this Thursday morning. This after the S&P posted its 70th record close of the year. Right now, we are higher across the board. NASDAQ higher by 45. Dow Jones up 25 points. Now, yesterday was the second. It was trailing only 1995 when it saw 77 record closes in a single year. And according to CNBC's own Robert Hum, with 70 record closes over the course of 2021's 250 trading days, that means the S&P has posted a record close 28% of the time since January 1st. That's a pace about one record close every four days. A quick sector check that kind of tells you where we're seeing the gains. Healthcare, real estate, materials, consumer staples, and utilities. These are the sectors trading at fresh record highs. And we continue to watch the story in oil. Remember, for the, for the year, energy is the best performing sector. Right now, oil uh, giving back some of its gains. WTI crew down just about six-tenths of a percent at $76. And cryptocurrencies have been rather volatile in recent days. Flirting with that $50,000 mark, Bitcoin, though, trading well below that, actually, at 46815 down just about 1% right now. Around the world we go, a mixed picture overnight in Asia that saw Japan's Nikkei ending its trading year on a down note. You can see right here down about four-tenths of 1%. For the long-haul investor taking a look at this, with a 4.9% gain this year, the Nikkei has closed at its highest level since the bubble era of 1989. Europe is just getting started, opened a couple hours ago, and we are higher with France, FTSE 100, and German DAX in the green. 
Let's get a check, though, on some of this morning's other top stories. Christina Parsonevelis is here. Good morning, Christina. Good morning, Seema. So Samsung right now is denying a report from the Korean Economic Daily that it is in talks to buy biotech company Biogen. The report, citing unnamed sources, said a deal between the two could value Biogen around $42 billion, about a 20% premium from its current price. Biogen and Samsung currently partner on drug developments and, as of September, have five FDA-approved products here in the United States. And it just keeps getting worse for Didi. The Chinese ride-hailing giant, out with its latest quarterly results, says third-quarter revenue dropped 11.5% since the second quarter. This says Chinese regulators step up their investigation into the company while forcing it to take down several of its apps from Chinese app stores. Shares are down about over 5% right now in the pre-market. And just weeks after being added to a U.S. investment blacklist, Chinese artificial intelligence firm SenseTime finally went public in Hong Kong overnight. Shares surging on their debut, rising around 11 percent above their IPO price by midday trading after opening higher by 23 percent. U.S. regulators allege SenseTime's facial recognition technology has been used to help suppress and assimilate minority ethnic groups inside China. Accusations the company denies. Seema? Wow, big story there. Yeah. Christina, thank you. Thank you. Back to the barter market, which by all measures have had a really great year. The S&P 500 is leading the pack up more than 28% with two days left in the year. The index is also set to pull off a rare feat, outperforming both the Dow and the Nasdaq in the same year. It's just the fourth time since 1990 that's happened and the first time since 2005. The S&P has benefited greatly from two specific sectors this year, technology and financials. In fact, financials poised for its best annual return since 1997. Let's go get more insight on where the markets may be headed with Robert Teeter, head of investment policy and strategist group at Silvercrest Asset Management. Robert, good morning to you. Good morning, Seema. As we showed you right there, two major sectors playing a powerful role and really leading the gains, technology and financials. What do you make of those two sectors? Well, it's a very interesting take on what's happened in the last year. And one of the reasons why it's been so important to maintain balance in portfolios, financials, of course, typically falling in the value side of the equation and technology on the growth side. And it's been a very interesting year and in that earnings have been the key driver, in my opinion, uh, for all advances across equities this year. And both of those sectors have seen pretty strong earnings growth. So it's no surprise to me to see both of them at the top of the roster on the year. So if you bought these sectors or stocks within these sectors on January 1st, do you sell or do you think that these are sectors that will continue to unlock gains for investors? I think that balance is still warranted again next year. You know, we'll continue on some of this roller coaster with the economy. Uh, there are a lot of trade-offs going on right now in terms of the economic balance and inflation, supply chains, margins, all of these things. But when investors really look through it at the end of the day, I think the key metric is going to continue to be earnings. And so those sectors that can generate strong earnings growth will be where the action is. And I think both technology and financials fall into that category. And financials are highly correlated to what is happening in the bond market. Robert, can you help explain to me, we have the Fed saying we're getting three interest rate hikes next year, yet the 10-year yield stubbornly stuck below 1.5%. Why is that? And what do you, what's your take? 
That's right. I think that's been one of the great conundrums of the year. We've had not only the Fed, but inflation rising. And you would think that uh, interest rates would be headed a bit higher. I think there are two things going on. Uh, one is that I estimate that there's somewhere between 40 and 50 basis points of yield suppression uh, from the COVID fear. So people are you know, allocating to bonds in an asset allocation stance because of the fears of COVID that keep coming and going. Eventually, when that dissipates, I do expect rates to head a bit higher. Um, you also have very strong demand from pension funds and from overseas buyers, typically at levels above one and a half percent. So while I do think rates are headed a bit higher, I think the ceiling will be around two percent. So the Fed will get some progress in their uh, rate expectations for next year, but I don't think we'll go much higher uh, than the high ones and probably cap out at around two percent. But you think two percent is your target. If that's the case, what changes should investors be making to their portfolio? Do they stick with dividend winners? Do they stick to the companies that are increasing their capital expenditure into 2022? Well, what changes or things should investors be thinking about right now? Well, I think that continued balance is critically important. Um, I do think one area that's been overlooked a bit has been on the small cap side. Uh, typically in a midterm election year, at the beginning of the year, small caps outperform. Uh, some of that is because of a focus on domestic activity. I think we'll have that in a big way this year as we focus on getting folks back into jobs, fixing supply chains and managing some of the damage that occurred during the COVID years. And so I do think that will, will favor small caps. Uh, in addition to that, I do think that balance is important. Uh, investments in productivity and efficiency gains will continue. That leads to the technology side. And then I do think some of those cyclicals will continue to recover as the last pieces of the economy come back online next year. You know, back in February, one of the biggest stories was this meme stop extravaganza from AMC to GameStop. And funny enough, a lot of these stocks are still holding on to some big gains for the year. I think AMC is up over 1,200 percent. What did you make of that phenomenon? And do you think it continues as retail participation seems to be only growing in the equity market? I, I don't think that that will necessarily continue much longer, though. It's always very difficult to uh, to call a top in these things that become very popular. There is certainly a lot of investor interest there. It's great in some ways to see retail participation and excitement about financial markets again. Although I think when you really pull back the pull back through the layers of the onion there on some of those companies, uh, there isn't a whole lot there in terms of, again, earnings growth, which we think is, is going to be the key driver of activity. So while it may continue a bit longer, um, we don't think that that's a place where, where folks should overstay their welcome. Earnings growth or not, you could argue these two companies have done a good job at relaying their story to Wall Street. GameStop on track to end the year up 700 percent or so. Uh, Robert, great discussion. Thanks for joining us. Robert Teeter. All right, when Thank we you. come back, trouble in the skies as the cancellations continue to rack up. Yeah, again, now one major airline is taking it a step further and trimming its schedule through January. Plus, President Biden and Russia's Vladimir Putin set to speak as Ukraine tensions heat up. We've got Atlantic Council CEO Fred Kemp. He is here with all things on foreign policy. And later, lockdowns in China, U.S. inflation, tech valuations. We covered all. Jim O'Neill, he's in the house. A very busy hour ahead on Worldwide Exchange. Don't go away. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, 
packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Welcome back. JetBlue says it's trimming its schedule through mid-January as it grapples with sick crew members and weather trouble in the West. The company says it's canceling about 1,200 flights through the 13th to give passengers a head start on adjusting their plans. This, as the wider industry as a whole continues to struggle with the Omicron surge, collectively canceling more than 1,000 flights a day since Sunday, with at least 900 flights into, within, or out of the U.S. already scrapped today. Cancellations racking up, so do the equity losses. The NICE Arca Airline Index is just one of two S&P 500 industry groups lower on the week. Joining me now on the CNBC Newsline with more, the former Pan Am CEO, David Ben Miller. He's also the author of the book Turbulence. David, it's good to have you on. You're the former CEO of a major airline. How long do you think these cancellations can last? Well, good morning and thank you, Seema. As I mentioned in an earlier segment with Brian, earlier before Thanksgiving that we're going to see this happen through the holidays for sure. And that was before this aggressive uh, COVID um, situation happened with Omicron. And that's going to go through the first quarter. I think if I may interject, I'll throw a couple of numbers uh, really quickly. December 5th, there was 149 cancellations. On the 26th, there were 1,627. And right now there's probably about 8,000 flights flying around the U.S. as we speak. I think the problem is as follows. Number one, obviously the aggressiveness of the new variant. Number two, the fact that everybody's getting tested. So what happened before? Not as many people are getting tested. Once you get tested, it sort of creates a domino effect within the industry. And remember, these folks all work together. It's kind of like an NFL team. They're all in the same place a lot. Uh, the, flight, the pilots have to be in the right place at the right time. That's hard. There's different equipment types, the testing impact. Uh, the reserves are probably depleted. Most of the major carriers have reserves sitting at the airport to cover some of the calls in sick. The problem is the reserves are probably right. also calling in sick. And then you got the connection hub problems. Uh, and I don't, just from one guy forecasting the future, I think what JetBlue did and what the airlines have to do, as hard as it is, is to get ahead of it, face the reality, because, you know, all of a sudden you're canceling. The average performance is 99%, just right. to give you a, a No, it's, it's really interesting to it's hear 94% you. It's 94%, right. It's now. really interesting, David, to hear you dissect this problem, because there are different reasonings that, are, that have come to the forefront as to why this is happening right now. You have holiday travel, the staffing issues, plus testing, that also being um, a big issue for travel in general. A lot of us who are planning to go outside the U.S., getting that PCR test in time to, to make that flight because you need it 24 hours in advance. Whole different story. Uh, what happens to prices, David? If, is this going to impact or discourage Americans from traveling? And if so, how much do you expect prices to come down from here? Let me make one comment. I'm in Spain. I came here yesterday from Dublin. I had to fill out all kinds of forms, went through two lines, and if you didn't have the two vaccines, you weren't getting into Spain. Just a and the flight was half full, although it was on time. Uh, with reference to your other observation, it's uh, the future is going to be tough for the next 
three months. And uh, what was your other other question? Oh, it was, prices. Uh, you know, for those of us who are booking oh, travel, do you expect expect better deals in the coming future? Well, everybody comes back to pricing, right? Do I think that's going to happen? Absolutely. I mean, pricing is a mechanism to stimulate traffic, right? I mean, that's supply and demand. Demand's high, prices are higher. Demand's low, prices are lower. I mean, it's economics 101. But what you also want to do, and it's done by city pair, it's very selective. It's not just across-the-board stuff. And you have a couple of new competitors floating around out there now in the United States that are going to be aggressive on pricing. So the answer is yes, there will be pricing incentives. Yes, the first quarter slow. I mean, depending. There's certain regions of the country where the first quarter is strong because of the weather. But for the most part, it's a slow quarter. Okay. So I, you will see better pricing. I would be very astute if I were someone surfing the yeah. web about what that means. And the other problem, if I would quickly interject, is because of all this mess, people are, on the one hand, afraid to fly because the rules are going to change. Right. I mean, let's face it. The rules have changed so many times. It's like a Ouija board. So how do you convince people to go ahead and travel? The most important ingredient, which the airlines do, is to say, okay, guys, you book this. I'm not going to penalize you. You cancel it. The money's in the bank. That's smart, and I'm sure they're all going to do that. Yeah, David, it's a great point. Fluid situation, to say the least. Uh, and you can see this also reflected in airline stocks. David, it's good to have you on. Thank you for joining us from Spain. David Van Miller, former CEO of Pan Am. Still on deck, your 2022 playbook, and if financials can go for a repeat in the year ahead after booking some massive gains. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. President Biden is set to hold another call with Russian President Vladimir Putin this afternoon amid ongoing tensions between Russia and Ukraine. The White House saying it's been speaking with leaders across Europe regarding the situation as Russia continues to amass tens of thousands of troops near the border. Let's bring in Fred Camp, president and CEO of the Atlantic Council and CNBC contributor. He's been tracking the story very closely. Fred, good morning to you. From what I understand, President Putin requested this call with, with President Biden. Is that your understanding? And what do you think he wants? Yeah, that is my understanding. This follows up a, a call they had earlier in December. And I think he wants to ratchet up the pressure. He thinks by having more talks with Biden, he's putting more pressure on Biden. Uh, by January, uh, they'll have more than 100,000 troops on the borders of Ukraine. Um, U.S. spokesman for the White House yesterday at a briefing for this call talked about it as uh, a, a crisis that's been bad for a while and, and has the potential for getting worse. And so Putin's reason to do this is say, saying, look, I mean business. I need an assurance that NATO will not 
put any troops on Ukraine's territory. Uh, I need an assurance that Georgia and Ukraine will never be members of NATO. These are two things they can never do. And from the Biden side, they want to de-escalate the crisis. They want to push back from the edge of what could be the worst uh, crisis in uh, Europe since the end of the Cold War. That's a great setup for this discussion on where things stand right now. Fred, you're a foreign policy expert. You analyze the behavior of state leaders across the world. Um, what's your read on this? Is it inevitable that Russia regains control of Ukraine, or will they bow down to pressure from the U.S. and Europe European allies? Well, let's draw back first and take a look at 2022 as a whole from the Biden administration standpoint. It's not just Russian troops on the edge of Ukraine uh, that the U.S. is facing. They're also facing a ratcheting up of pressures of China on Taiwan. They're facing uh, an Iran uh, that's uh, crossing toward the threshold of a nuclear weapon, 60 percent uh, uh, enrichment of uranium. 4% is all that's allowed under its treaty. 90% is a bomb. Israel's not going to sit back and just watch that happen. So you could have uh, the most stressful geopolitical year really in the last 30 years facing uh, the Biden administration. The Biden administration has to decide how is it going to navigate all of this. Part of the reason it's happening is that I think President Xi and uh, and President Putin are testing the Biden administration. They've seen what they uh, what they see as weakness in the Afghanistan withdrawal. Mm -hmm. They've seen what they interpret as indecision. They're pretty sure that the U.S. isn't willing to go undertake military action to defend either Taiwan or Ukraine. And so I think you really could see a year of test in this uh, in 2022 of the Biden administration. That's so interesting because you also have President Biden's polling uh, continuing to decline. And, you know, some would argue following Afghanistan, this administration could really use a foreign policy win. How aggressive do you expect Biden to be when it comes to Russia next year? I think he'll be aggressive in terms of sanctions should Russia cross a line and invade uh, Ukraine further, not I mean, Ukraine, invade Ukraine. They've already done that in Luhansk and Donetsk and, of course, Crimea. But if they go further, <coughs> uh, 2014, when Crimea was taken, the uh, Obama administration left a lot of sanctions on the shelf. It didn't go nearly as far as it could have. And, uh, and you've seen a lot of interagency action over the holidays preparing uh, a, a much tougher set of approaches. On the other hand, uh, the uh, Russians can be quite sure that the U.S. itself won't take military action. What it would do and what it said it would do is it would give more uh, the Ukraine more means to defend itself. And should it take any action in Ukraine, it has also said to, to Putin and to the Russians that one would uh, ratchet up uh, the support for uh, uh, NATO allies that are on the of Ukraine. So Poland, the Baltic states, other things that would really change the whole post-Cold War nature of Europe to a place that's really trying to go into a new modern world to one that's really breaking down into old spheres of geopolitical influence wow. of the sort that we had during the Soviet period. I think we all had to study up on Asia at the height of the U.S.-China issues. And now it seems like we're going to have to dig deep on Russia and all things Europe. Thank you for joining us, Fred. It's always great to get your expertise. Fred Camp. Thank, thank you, Stephen. Just one other thing. This is happening at a time of internal domestic weakness. So it's, uh, it's external stress at a time of domestic internal polarization and weakness of the United States. We haven't faced anything like that, it really, in my memory, where those two have come together as strong as they do this year. That's a really uh, concerning and fascinating revelation. Fred, thank you again, Fred Kemp. Thank you. Let's get a check on this morning's other headlines. NBC's Philip Mena in New York with the latest. Philip, good morning.
Hi, Seema. Good morning. A verdict has been reached in the sex trafficking trial of Ghislaine Maxwell. The jury concluded the Jeffrey Epstein confidant is guilty on five of six counts, including sex trafficking of a minor, which is the most serious and could get her up to 40 years in prison. The sentencing date has not been scheduled, but will likely be several months away. Turning now to Winfield, Alabama, where severe weather whipped through, leaving destruction in its wake. Officials say the damage was likely caused by a tornado. Roofs ripped off buildings, windows blasted in, and power lines are down across the town. According to the police chief there, several people were rescued after being trapped inside of a pizza shop. Thankfully, there are no reports of injuries at this time. This year will end without a verdict in the Elizabeth Holmes trial. The jury failed to reach a decision after six days of deliberations. They will resume on Monday, January 3rd. The disgraced founder of Theranos has pleaded not guilty to nine counts of fraud and two counts of conspiracy. She faces up to 20 years in prison if convicted. And COVID has wreaked havoc on college football's bowl season, but we did have a trio of primetime games on the slate Wednesday. A shootout down in Texas in the Alamo Dome between Oregon and Oklahoma. The Sooners are up by 27 at the half. The Ducks would fight back. They had three touchdowns in the third quarter. Ultimately, that big deficit was just too much to overcome. Oklahoma wins the Alamo Bowl 47-32. to and the team wearing orange fared well at the Cheez-It Bowl. It was a defensive struggle in Orlando until Clemson capitalized on a 14-point third quarter that kept the Tigers in the groove as they clinched a 10-win season with a 20-13 win over Iowa State. And at Yankee Stadium, Maryland's offense hitting home runs for 60 minutes against Virginia Tech. The Terps gained nearly 500 total yards in a 54-10 blowout at the Pinstripe Bowl. That's it from here, Seema. I'll send it back to you. Great stuff, Philip. Thank you so much. Have a great day. You too. Straight ahead, why Didi's recent headwinds are not scaring away our next guest. Why she actually says the stock is a buy at these levels. Stick around. We're right back. Investors getting set to party like it's 1995 as stocks look to keep the record-breaking rally alive. Trouble in China as yet another major chip maker says it's adjusting production in light of some new COVID-19-related lockdowns. Jim O'Neill is here with the impact it could have on the supply chain and global growth ahead. Plus, tracking the big bank breakout of 2021 and if the sector has what it takes to, to repeat what it saw this year. It's Thursday, December 30th, 2021. You're watching Robot Exchange on CNBC. Welcome back. Thank you for joining us today. I'm Seema Modi and for Brian Sullivan. Here's how stock futures are looking halfway through the 5 a.m. hour here in New York. It's green across the screen. Nasdaq higher by 39 points. S&P 500 up just about four. This morning's action coming after the S&P posted its 70th record close of the year. The most record closes since 1995 when the S&P ended at a record 77 times in a single year. Helping drive stocks higher yesterday, at least 75 S&P stocks hitting all-time highs. Names like McDonald's, Costco, P&G. Constellation Brands, J.B. Hunt, and Union Pacific. So sort of a wide range of stocks hitting new highs. With yesterday's gain, the Santa Claus rally looks to still be intact with four, three trading days set to go. 
Let's get a check on some of this morning's top stories. Christina Parsonevelis is back with us. Christina, good morning again. So energetic. I love it. Good morning, Seema. Dr. Anthony Fauci, though, is predicting the latest wave of COVID-19 pandemic may hit its peak in the U.S. by the end of January. Fauci speaking with CNBC yesterday as new cases hit their highest level since the pandemic began. It certainly peaked pretty quickly in South Africa. It went up almost vertically and turned around very quickly. I would imagine, given the size of our country and the diversity of vaccination versus not vaccination, that it likely will be more than a couple of weeks, probably by the end of January, I would think. Dr. Fauci adding lockdowns are not being considered for now. Elon Musk, SpaceX, raising $337 million in new funding, according to a filing yesterday. The company, which counts Alphabet and Fidelity among its investors, hit $100 billion in valuation following a secondary share sale in October. SpaceX has raised more than $1 billion in financing since April. And shares of Evergrande sinking again in Asian trade overnight. This after the Chinese real estate giant failed to pay interest on its international bonds to investors, payments totaling $225 million that were due earlier this week. Seema? A story that keeps on giving. Yeah. For Christina, thank you. Thanks. Sticking with China, actually, where COVID-19 and the Omicron virus continue to wreak havoc on key choke points in the global economy, in the past 24 hours, global ship supplier Micron says output of some of its computer memory components will be hit by the ongoing lockdown in Chinese city Xi'an, one aimed at stemming that country's biggest virus outbreaks of the year. Those chips made by Micron are used in data centers across the world. The news comes, uh, the news from Micron comes just hours after Samsung issued a similar statement that it's adjusting production at two two key facilities in Xi'an to deal with the lockdowns and thinner staff levels. These developments beg the question about vaccines, their ability to prevent such strict lockdowns and how this all plays out for China and the world in 2022. Joining me now on this and more is former Goldman Sachs Asset Management Chairman Jim O'Neill. Jim, good morning to you. Good morning to you, Seema. Nice to see you. It's great to see you. What are your thoughts on yet another wave of COVID and how hmm. countries around the world are responding, specifically China? I mean, vaccines were expected to help. And of course, they've given us more safety. But at the same time, it's not stopping some countries like China from locking down. Well, I wish I knew the answer to that. Out of, out of endless uncertainties going into the turn of the year, this is, this is probably the one, if not the biggest, it's the one that we're all most aware of. But yet we know so little. Uh, I, I think on the specific of your question about China, um, as with a number of other issues about China, it, for the first time in over 30 years of following the, uh, the country closely, I'm not sure if, if their strategy is right. Um, you know, this, this uh, particular uh, latest variant, Omicron, of course, is spreading so easily. We have nearly 200,000 cases here in the UK as of yesterday, which is huge, France even more. And so if it's, if it's in China, then uh, without severe lockdowns, they're not going to be able to stop it from spreading. And, uh, you know, the same approach, uh, which is rather encouraging, having just caught what uh, Dr. Fauci said, the same approach today to what was applied in Wuhan 21 months ago just doesn't really make a lot of sense to me. And given that China has already 
got challenges with its cyclical growth and its structural growth. Um, I would have thought the Chinese have to possibly rethink, but it, it looks like a leadership that doesn't like to rethink, at least publicly, too much. But uh, it can only clearly harm uh, Chinese uh, growth itself and China's uh, important marginal impact on world growth, especially with supply chains, as you featured. Yeah, and COVID has also made a mess out of inflation expectations, Jim. There mm -hmm. are different narratives out there. Some who say it is transitory. This will pass once we hit the first quarter. Others say that this recent wave of Omicron, while yes, less severe, still highly transmissible, will have uh, an effect on growth and therefore accentuate also the supply chain issues that we've seen play out this quarter. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm sort of uh, open-minded. It, it, it seemed to me... Uh, a year ago, the, the big concern late, later last year, or what is now this year uh, still, uh, would be um, that growth would recover sharply and we would have some fears about inflation. Um, and of course, that's exactly what's going on. But now that we're in this position, it, it's not obvious to me that we have necessarily got a permanent rise in inflation. Uh, some, some important measures of inflation expectations, notably in the US. I, I always follow the University of Michigan long-term one very closely. Uh, they're quite stable. Um, and the markets don't show signs of being overly worried about it, which doesn't necessarily mean anything, but it, of course, sometimes it does. Um, so I think that the, the, my dreadful answer is I think we'll just have to wait and see. Um, but I can also at the same time see why, why there are some grounds for worrying about inflation. We have an extremely accommodative monetary policy everywhere. Fiscal policy has been hugely expansive. Uh, and of course, we have supply chain disruptions and, and wages are picking up in some places. And indeed, linked to the complications of, of current life, uh, almost deliberately in many countries as a result of government policies to try and reduce income inequality, which socially and for the long-term benefit of the capitalist right. system is probably necessary, but it could add to inflationary pressures. So what I'm hearing from you is you say inflationary pressures will exist into 2021, as will the ongoing supply chain shortage. Jim, what does that mean for big tech? Because here in the U.S., some of the biggest mm. technology companies are sitting on big gains for this year. Valuations have come into the conversation, but if the supply chain shortage continues, does that put more pressure on some of the biggest semiconductor companies out there? You know, the way that big tech has just sort of thrown off repeated challenges, uh, and maybe because it can thrive in, in, in so many environments, particularly one of COVID existing, uh, raises the possibility that perhaps the ongoing surprise is that they just continue to, to do so well. Uh, I suspect at the end of the day, uh, something rather basic is going to be important ultimately, uh, and that is the stance of monetary policy. You, 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 we've seen episodes over the past 15 months, really, where, where the market starts to fear about higher bond yields and a, and a much more aggressive monetary policy. And the tech sector tends to lose out relative to cyclicals and financials. So if, if inflation does rise, and more importantly, if inflation expectations start to rise sharply and central banks start to panic, I would have guessed famous last words, I would have guessed <laughs> that tech, tech will go through a tough time. But uh, as we see, yeah. as, ex, ex, as evidenced by this call we're having on Zoom, I mean, 
technology is keeping the world moving around as well as possible despite this staggering yeah. uh, disruption to our lives. It benefits from stay at home and benefits from the reopening. Set the scene for us, Jim. 2022, biggest story in Europe? You know, we've got some uh, further important elections in Europe coming up. Um, uh, and and there's, a, there's a number of issues that are always there persistently in Europe. Uh, France in particular, that often likes to see itself as the leader of the, of the EU and the Euro area, and Macron so ambitious in this area. Uh, will he manage to get a second term? And given that we have Germany that's moving away from Merkel, does this mean a, a, a more let's call it, move towards the United States of Europe. And in addition, you've got the whole issue of the Italian presidency and whether Draghi can continue this remarkably, by Italian standards, successful brief period of being uh, uh, the prime minister. Uh, all these things are always there on top of uh, everything to do with Omicron and COVID and inflation and et cetera, et cetera. So huge number of uncertainties. But it, if, if we were to work on the naive assumption that Omicron, perhaps naive, that Omicron, uh, whilst it's spreading faster, is much weaker than the previous variants. It's not impossible that we are in the early stages of finally shifting this to being an endemic uh, health mm -hmm. challenge rather than a pandemic, in which case the European economies will come roaring back because the European right. policymakers have tightened up recently. And we it could it's not impossible by the end of january we're talking about some kind of accelerating boom again okay. at least in the economic cycle well there we'll leave it there ending on an optimistic note jim it's always a pleasure to have you on thank you for joining us jim o'neill okay have Happy a great New Year. day and to you coming up the bull case for the big banks heading into 2022 our all-star panel weighing in when we return Welcome back. Financials have been one of the best performing sectors this year, up over 30 percent year to date and poised for its best annual return since 1997, where it gained 45 percent in a year. The rebound in financials has also benefited the overall performance of the S&P since financials make up about 11 percent of the index. Joining us for a look at where these stocks go in 2022 is Gerard Cassidy, head of U.S. Bank Equity Strategy at RBC Capital Markets, and Marty Mosby, director of Bank Advisory and Strategic Services at Vining Sparks. Great to have you on, gentlemen. Marty, I'll start with you. If we are entering an environment where the Fed accelerates the pace at which interest rates move higher from here, what does that mean for the broader financials? Well, interest rates are going to be the catalyst uh, and the determinant of how these banks are going to perform. Uh, the cycle we just went through is not traditional at all. Typically, a recession the banks do really poorly on credit. And this time, because of all the monetary and fiscal stimulus, there's been no credit pressures, uh, except for some CECL increase and then release uh, that we went through uh, up in 2020 and down in 2021. So as interest rates either go up or don't go up, it will determine the fate of this group, because that's really what's left on the table is what happens to interest rates. Gerard, keeping interest rates in focus, what's top of mind for you when looking at financials? I would agree with Marty that the interest rate outlook is critical to the outlook for the performance of the bank stocks in 2022, uh, especially short-term interest rates. Uh, what we've seen recently is that 
the stocks tend to move with the long end of the yield curve, the 10-year government bond yield. And that uh, is, I think, going to give way in 2022 to the front end of the curve and the Fed funds rate. If you go back to the last tightening cycle of 2016 through 2018, as the short end of the curve went up, the bank stocks did extremely well. The other key factor is loan growth. Uh, that is going to be another driving force in 2022. We're starting to see the weekly data, the H8 data, as it's referred to from the Federal Reserve that comes out on Friday afternoons, is showing some nice increases recently, particularly in commercial and industrial lending, which we think will be the driver for total loan growth in 2022. Uh, differentiating, Gerard, between the big banks versus regional players, um, where would you put your money to work in 2022? What we're looking at are two factors. One is the so-called asset sensitivity of the bank's balance sheet. So that's the benefit they, they would receive that Marty and I are talking about with higher interest rates. So that's one way of playing the bigger banks. Names like Bank America and Wells Fargo are very asset sensitive. But then to play a more specific strategy on the regional names is to own the banks that are big commercial and industrial lenders. Names like Key Corp or Fifth Third or Comerica. These names should all benefit from the increased loan demand coming from an, uh, an economy in 2022 that should continue to grow at above average levels relative mm -hmm. to the last 10 or 15 years. Yeah, Marty, incredible comeback when you look at a name like Wells Fargo up 60% this year. Is there more room to run? Well, again, that's a turnaround story that has a lot of other issues that are driving it. Um, you know, So when you look at Wells Fargo in particular, there still is some some headroom with valuation because there's some catch up that it's uh, lost value relative to the group in the in the last five years when they've been dealing with some of these issues. So as they're coming out the other side, that definitely gives you something else besides just interest rates that you can count on. Uh, going back to loan growth, what we're going to see is this inflation that we've seen across the asset classes, uh, home prices, auto prices, uh, commercial real estate. It's almost baking into cake. Uh, what Gerard's talking about here which is loan growth is gonna to start to percolate. Uh, so that is going to be there. But again, uh, the cycle between 16 and 18 was very positive, but between 12 and 16, while we waited for the Fed to move, uh, was a holding pattern uh, of really fits and starts. It would go up and they would come back down for the banks. So it is gonna be how the Fed moves the short end of the curve and how quickly, which will determine uh, 2022 and any upside from here. Gerard, of the bank CEOs, which CEO has managed this pandemic the best, in your opinion? I would say that uh, J.P. Morgan's uh, Jamie Dimon has done a very good job at managing, as has Brian Moynihan over at Bank America. Two very um, large banks have managed the pandemic extremely well. Yeah, and J.P. Morgan reflected in its stock price year-to-date up 24%. Uh, Gerard, we will leave it there. Marty, we will leave it there. Thank you for joining me today. Great to have you Thanks. back on. You're very welcome. Thank you. On deck, breaking down the buying opportunities in healthcare and the beaten down IPO space. And if you haven't already, follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast apps. We will be right back. Welcome back. News of that possible Biogen buyout helping lift what's been a lackluster few months for the beaten down biotech sector. But while Biogen may still end the year with a slight gain, 
it's not the same story for some of the other larger names in biotech. Take a look at Bluebird, Sarepta, Ions, year-to-date down about 45% for a name like Ions. But despite the weakness, my next guest says some are a screaming buy. Kay Faddis, the CEO of Grace Capital. Kay, great to have you on healthcare. We tend to fixate on the vaccine manufacturers, COVID testing, but there are opportunities within biotech. Which names do you like best? There are so many opportunities, Seema. We've got, healthcare has underperformed the market this year. However, you've had, like you said, certain names, LabCorp, uh, Quest, Thermo, uh, Thermo Fisher. These guys have done incredibly well. Moderna is up over 100%. I say you cut the winners and you buy the losers. So what are some of the losers? Exact Sciences. This is a company that is a leader in cancer screening. They make Cologuard. It's a non-invasive test for colon cancer. You send them at home a sample of you-know-what, and um, they detect whether you have cancer or not. The stock has been whipsawed, going up and down from a high of 150 in February all the way down to 72. It's got depressed revenue growth and somewhat high fixed costs. Here's why. They hired 450 new salespeople in addition to their sales staff. Mm -hmm. They can't get in front of doctors because of... Uh, COVID. Zoom doesn't quite do it. So the company, however, has got some big news coming up in January. They're going to unveil Cologuard 2.0 in January. I think that's going to jumpstart revenue. Okay. In Q2, they're going to release data on the new multi-cancer blood. They've got lots of going on. $72 a share. It's down just about 21% over the past two years. I want to pivot to another uh, beaten down area, if you will, which is IPOs. A lot of the names with high consumer interest like Sweetgreens and Allbirds. It's just fascinating to see how much these stocks have, have dropped since their big debut. But I believe you still see opportunity in some of these names. Give us your top pick. My top pick, Bumble. Okay, it's a women-centered dating app. High of 75, now it's under 33. Coupon, Coupang, the Amazon of South Korea. Opened up at 48, now it's 29. Legal Zoom's another one. Uh, okay. Disrupting the market for legal services. You no longer have to pay uh, big money to write a will, hit a high of 40, now it's 16. Here's another one, not popular. Didi, Didi's the Uber of uh, People's Republic of China. China's been throwing a tantrum, playing hardball with the publicly traded companies. But I think there are if you are a long-term buy and hold in investor, this is a name you have to think about. It reminds me of Facebook from back in the day. Facebook went public in 2012, uh, went out at 38, got all the way to 18, and what happened? didn't look back. So I, I'm very excited about some of these names. Two thirds of the companies wow. have underperformed the uh, new IPOs. You really like to go for the beaten down names. A lot of people would argue that Didi is sort of a no touch story given everything that China and the regulatory concerns. But there you go. Trading at around four dollars um, and change. Taking a step back macro, we're here in the U.S. COVID cases increasing about 60 percent this week. Thoughts on how Omicron affects broader market sentiment? I think I'm going to think of Omicron. I'm going to be positive on Omicron. You think about the Fed tapering, the Fed raising rates. I think the Fed is dovish and any sign of trouble and Omicron is trouble is going to make the Fed back down because think about it. Omicron is going to affect restaurants. It's going to affect the service sector. Uh, people are staying home. Airlines, they can't get they canceling flights. So I think Omicron is going to cause the Fed to uh, the Fed is looking for a reason to stay the course. And I think Omicron's gonna do that. I mean, short of that, we're gonna have pent up demand in 2022. The consumer is tired of being at home. Consumer is tired 
of, of not being able to go out and spend. So I think anything now is only going to set up 2022 for pent-up demand. The problem with this, however, is that you're going to have inflation because you still have supply chain shocks. You still have labor shortages. So I'm bullish on the market for 2022. A nice way to end the hour. A bullish outlook. What's the biggest risk for next year? Quickly, Kate. Biggest risk? I'm going to go with the financials. I don't understand why the financials are so strong. <laughs> Tepid loan growth. They've got lots of deposits they can't put to work. I would stay away from the financials. They've okay. been big winners this year. Take your money and run. All right. Uh, great stuff. Wide ranging. Kate Faddis, thanks for joining us today. A quick look at U.S. futures right now. We are pointing to a higher open with the Nasdaq up about 38 points in free market after the Dow and S&P ended at a record. Thank you for joining me on Worldwide Exchange. Squawk Box is next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.